Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a podcast about product management and product design, where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design. Every episode, we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know, and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics. Welcome back to another episode of Product by Design with Kyle and Eva. I am Kyle, and Eva is here. And today we have one more person too. That's right. We've got Chris Salway, who is joining us as a product manager. We're going to be talking with him today. We're really excited to have him as a guest on our show. We work with Chris on our team.、Uh, he's a new product manager、uh, within our group at ClearLink, and he's been, but he's actually been doing. Product management-like roles for some time, and today we're going to be talking about his move into product management. And I'm really excited about this because it's it's an interesting story about how he got into product management. But before we do that, let's introduce him and learn a little bit about him. So, Chris, first off, welcome. Thank you. Glad glad to be here. So, Chris, you and I. Have known each other for a long time. We've been friends for years and years. So I'm I'm really excited to have you on for one, and excited that we get to work together for another. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah,、um, where to where to begin? I guess right. Yeah. So like like Kyle mentioned, we've been friends since since high school actually. So we've known each other a long a long time, and、uh, I've been trying to recruit him to come work with us <laughs> for a while too. So I was thrilled. When Kyle made the move to come over and join us,、uh, it's been great. Again, people are gonna start guessing how old you guys are now. <laughs> yeah, so not a little, little old, bit, right? <laughs> very no, young here, but not young at young at heart, at least for sure, right? Yeah, old enough to be wise, but not old enough to be old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a little bit, a little bit about me.、Um, see, married, I have four kids, so working from home in this new reality has been interesting. With being, with them being out of school and then being home, home a lot. It's also been a fun time to be able to spend more time together. I've been working at our company Clearlink for a little over four years, and in this role, it's really been since about January that I've been a full time product manager. Well, we're going to dive into that a little bit more, which is going to be the topic of our podcast today.、Uh, you know, kind of the. Transitioning into that role of full-time product manager and how you got there. But before we jump into that, first off, is there anything we want to talk about before we dive into the seriousness of the product management world? Yeah, this is like the hangout time, the hangout、yeah. zone for a few minutes, <laughs> and then we dive straight into it. But I, I'm gonna start off by saying I'm surprised that last time when we ended the episode, I didn't say anything. About my new AirPods, new new product in my life, and <laughs> it's not as life changing as I expected, but <laughs> it's been it's been good. And I also got into a conversation with another designer on the team about these semi. Can I call it a knockoff? Do you guys know about BlackPod? No. Oh. Oh, Google it. It is for some reason not sued into. The outer space by Apple. Yet they are basically the black version of AirPods, and I am again just amazed that they are here and not super sued. <laughs> and they are a lot more affordable. So, Kyle, are you googling that I'm, right I'm now? I'm googling them right now. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, <laughs> do, you, do you see them? Do you see? I do. Yeah. 
you see the price tag, which is a lot more reasonable, and <laughs> the design is almost exactly the same as AirPods. Yeah, they look exactly like AirPods. Yeah,、But、apparently they are pretty big in the knockoff circle. Interesting. So yeah,、huh. it's very interesting. Yeah. Anyways, but my my Apple TM AirPods TM they have been they have been great. I would probably never buy the Pro ones. Too expensive. That's like what thirty dinners there. Or just headphones, so. Which is how you gauge the price tag of things is in dinners. Yeah, I mean that's all we need: shelter, food, and air, and already paying rent. <laughs> I would say that that would pay what I don't even know how to divide that two days of rent. Maybe that's how you can divide it up. Yeah, that sounds the, even more worse. <laughs> that's the that's the adult way to do it. And when you, when you're a kid, at least for me, I was always it was always cost. Buy candy bars. How many candy bars can I buy? Right. Priorities for that, for that amount of money. <laughs> yeah, the the currency of your of your youth. That's right. Yeah. Some people use tacos. I've heard tacos、yeah. is a good one, but then you can always buy a lot of tacos for anything. So I feel like that probably skews it in a lot of ways. Like AirPods would be what, like five hundred tacos, depending on when you're buying tacos. <laughs> yeah. Where do you guys buy your tacos? I don't really buy a lot of tacos. I love the silence yeah, of like I, I, tacos. I what? Don't yeah, tacos. I, I, I don't buy tacos all that often either. That's not one of my like go-to things. Oh, interesting. I thought everybody loves tacos here. <laughs> no, okay, if we, I, yeah, if we go for Mexican food, we're going for like nicer Mexican food. So fajitas, honestly, that's like our go-to. That's、yeah. your is that your currency too? Like how many fajitas? How many fajitas? Yeah, how many red iguana? Fajita dinners is this going、oh, to be? Oh, I see, I see. <laughs> Chris, what about you? What type of currency or Mexican food do you do you go for? I, I I'm a big fan of like a, what like a smothered burrito, right? Like a burrito, you know, with a nice like smothered sauce on top and melted cheese. Like that's kind of my my go to when it comes to Mexican food. I don't know that、that's、I, I use it as, as currency necessarily. <laughs> yeah, yours is like a full dinner. Yeah, I mean, it, it, isn't that how Mexican food was designed to be eaten? Right, like if you're gonna eat it, you need to eat a lot of it. I guess so, but. I guess tacos is just kind of my go-to currency. <laughs> just yeah, many tacos. Is your guys' podcast always this this random? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chris, you can't say that. That shows that you have not listened to the other. <laughs> I actually have. I have listened to it. <laughs> you, just, you just out at yourself that way. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun at the beginning, and then yeah, again,、like、we、it. nose dive into it. And sounds like this is a good segue into our. Topic of today. I feel like we need a transition music that we can add in. I don't know, just like some space music, like you when you go through the light year tunnel, whatever. Yeah. So I, I think you just need to have some keywords. So one of the things that Eva's brought to our our team, especially when we've been on Zoom calls, is when we're done talking, she's taught us that you just say the end, right? And that's helped so much in all of our meetings because <laughs> there's all these like little <laughs> awkward transitions where people are talking over each other, but now it's become a thing, right? When we're when we're in a team meeting, is when you're done talking, you say the end. So now、yeah. we just need like a a transition word, right? Kaboom! Something. <laughs> yeah. Kaboom! No, all right. I feel like it's we've really almost got some structure to this. Like we have the hangout zone, like you just said, Eva, at the beginning, and then、TM、we just yeah,、like、and then we need some sort of transition. This is really starting to take shape. I like it. <laughs> Over the <laughs> by next- episode one hundred, we'll get it all done on paper. Yeah. Well, that that is the perfect segue into the topic <laughs> of the day. We'll find the right structure. 
to start moving that forward. Speaking of transitioning into different things, transitioning into product management, Chris, like you mentioned earlier, you moved full time into product management at the beginning of 2020. Tell us a little bit about that move. You know, what does it take to move into product management? What did it take for you to move into product management? Yeah. So for me, prior to this role, I was I was working in kind of a like a, really a hybrid role where it was a part-time product manager and then part-time in the marketing department. But about two years prior to the move, I was asked to take over a role to kind of lead one of our sales channels within the company, basically all of our like lead forms, right? So when if someone wants to request a quote, or if, if we're trying to, to capture somebody's information, I was asked to take over that channel. It was a new channel for us, right? It wasn't something that we had really focused on previously. And so none of the technology was really in place for that channel either, right? So the role was, okay, we, you know, you need to come in and handle the marketing side of this, but we also need to build up our tech stack to be able to handle this, right? And so I was basically uh, paired up with a couple of developers and said, okay, product management is kind of a new thing for us at ClearLink. This channel is kind of a new thing for us at ClearLink. Uh, here's the group of people that we're going to have tackle this, go figure it out, right? And so for me, I kind of got a, a crash course in product management as we were just figuring it out as a company, as a channel, I'm mean, really building up the technology. So like I mentioned, I did, I did that role for about two years and really just fell in love with the product management experience, right? I started going to conferences and reading books and trying to learn how to be a better product manager, you know, as, as I'm doing this, this job and found that what excited me in my day was the half of my job that was on the product management side, right? I had been in marketing for a long time, right? I kind of started my career out for the most part in marketing. It's kind of what I always plan that I would be doing for the entirety of my career. And when I got this chance to kind of dive into product management to learn more about it, it's like, this is, this is great. This is awesome. Right. Like I, I've always loved technology, right? So I spent a, a big portion of my career in working with marketing automation tools, right? So doing email and SMS and building out these, these campaigns and fell into like implementing them, right? Like I would end up coming to a company and then helping them implement these tools that are super complex and required a lot of coordination with IT and other departments and was kind of doing a product management-ish job there, right? Helping these companies implement these super complex tools and kind of being the product manager essentially without without the role or without realizing it, right? Like helping get these things onboarded and up to speed and go and kept going. And then, you know, I would go and then actually do the marketing part of the job and actually use the tools. And then another company would come and be like, hey, we need help doing this, right? And I would kind of basically start that process over again. So even though I've always said that oh, I was in marketing, looking back at it, I realized that I was actually spending probably most of my time doing product management just by another name. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. That's kind of how I transitioned in, into it. And then when, when Kyle joined the company, there was an opportunity for me to basically transition into doing it full time. And I, I jumped at the chance, right? Like, and it's... I have haven't haven't looked back, right? It's been it's been it's been a great six months, even with all the craziness that has been going on in the world. So when you look at you know some of the things that you've been working on and you know some of the things the things that you've worked on in the past, what is it that you feel like has I guess maybe helped you the most in what you've learned and what you've done as far as what you've worked on in kind of learning about product management? Yeah. So I think some of the things that have really helped me as I've transitioned into the role is 
having that experience in marketing. And actually earlier in my career, I started out in sales, right? So I kind of went sales to marketing to product, which is is probably not the most traditional path for someone to move into pro- into product management. But the the lessons I learned, you know, in that world, just about how how to run a business and how how a business works and how marketing and sales teams are using the products that are being built and actually trying to take those out into the market, right? And and have, being able to have a, a deep understanding of of that process. Um, I mentioned implementing those marketing automation tools. Um, for me, that's been that's really where without having a technical background. So I got a degree in communications, right? And then went straight into sales and marketing. So I didn't have like a a degree in anything technical. I wasn't a coder, but building out those marketing automation tools, I had to basically immerse myself in that world. And that's really where I learned the world of code and working with developers and how to like talk the talk, I guess, right? Like I'm, I'm still not a coder, right? Like if you put me down at a machine and told me to write lines of code, you know, that's not something in my skill set. But I've learned that world and enough that I, I can sit down with developers, right, and have a conversation and talk through the way we're going to code something and this the strategy behind it and the logic behind it. Um so that's been super valuable too is just that experience. So yeah, I, I would say those are probably the two most valuable things that I had prior in my career that I brought into this this role. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people who come into product management, especially over the last little while, in a lot of ways, do it for similar reasons that you do, um, you know, because there's a need for it and kind of come into it from a lot of different backgrounds and don't necessarily have like a straight line path. There's not necessarily a degree that you, you go into product management in college and say, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I think that's starting to change to some degree, you know, where it's becoming a lot more recognized and, you know, some larger companies are starting to pull people in initially, you know, Amazons and Googles and other places, but, you know, still it's a very much early stage career path. With that in mind, there are a lot more mature career paths like you were talking about in marketing and other places. And, you know, there's this more kind of nebulous gray area of product that you were doing for a long time that we're building up and doing now. Tell us a little bit more about why you decided to make that shift. You kind of talked about falling in love with the half of the job that you were doing and, and then doing it before for a long time. What were some of the other reasons that drew you into it and made you decide to make the jump from largely what you had been doing for so long into product management. And what was the thought yeah. process behind that? You know, it, it was something I thought a lot about. And I, I kind of mentioned some of it earlier, but, you know, being able to have a foot in both worlds allowed me both marketing and product gave me an opportunity to really figure out what I enjoyed more, right? Like, like I got to live in both worlds for different parts of my day and figure out what motivated me, what energized me, right? Like if I was coming, you know, if, if I was walking into a day and was knew like, okay, I'm going to be spending most of my time marketing stuff today versus most of my time doing product stuff. What day did I come in excited, you know, more excited, right. To tackle that day's work. And it became very, very clear, right. The longer I did the role that it was in product. The other, one of the reasons, so I've, as people ask me, right, like, well, why did you move into product? And this is a super simplified explanation of product, but it helps to explain, as I said, the reason I did it and why I think it's so cool and so fun is that I can just come up with like a cool idea and the strategy and then 
other people go make it happen, right? Like the, de- the designers design it and the developers code it and the marketing people push it. And I get to kind of like just watch this thing that was my idea that, you know, that I, I brought to the table and watch it be built. But I don't have to be a designer. I don't have to be a coder, right? I just have to be able to gather the data and do some analysis and be creative and figure out like what, what, what this n- cool new product is going to be. And then I just, I think it's so cool that then I just, people take it and run with it and it, it gets built, right? Like it's again, super simplified way of looking at it. But like when you're trying to explain it to somebody else, like to me, that was like, I love this, right? Like I just, I get to be, be creative and come up with cool stuff. And then I get to work with people to watch this thing come to life. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people are sitting at home thinking like, oh, that's it. That's that easy? I can promise you, no. <laughs> like Chris said, like there's a lot more moving parts that go into it. I've been kind of quiet because you got me thinking about this too, is that your path coming from, you know, sales and marketing and then eventually landing it in, in, in product that, 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 that path kind of uh, gives you the perspective of, oh, as a user, you already, you know, uh, had used that product and then know what's lacking. And do you think that gives you an edge of understanding what you want to make as a product manager? Yeah, it does. And I think the hybrid role actually was a great education in that because I was kind of both the product manager and the user, right? Like, because on the marketing side, I was kind of the user of the product I was working on. And then on the product side, I was the product manager. So it was a great way to learn both worlds, right? About like, like, and you know, like there would be times where like we would build a feature, you know, and me as the user would be like, okay, we built this feature. And now that I'm the user, it actually isn't fulfilling what I wanted it to fulfill. But how, how rare that I could then put on the product hat and be like, okay, this didn't work. Let's make some adjustments and changes. And here's exactly the, the, the changes that I think we need to make. So yeah, it, it, it was a great way to learn how both sides, right? Like how to build products and features that are what the users want, but then also how important it is to actually sync up with your users and see how they're using the tools and get that feedback, right? Which is a I know in your world, Eva, is super, super key, right? <laughs> oh, and it's always very helpful to have a product manager that has that empathy on the for the other side too, because you know you have been there and you know why we need to build it in a way that works for the user, not just what we think will work. So I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually one of the other things too that you know I I kind of have learned going through that is how important it is as a product manager to put your ego aside, right? And not like just because I think that this is the way that something's going to work. And I think that this is the best way to do it. That's that ne- almost never works, right? It's, it's about getting the data, checking with your users, seeing what they're, what they want, what they're actually using and letting that kind of dictate what gets built. And again, living in both worlds, I really got to experience that, right? Cause I could control that, that flow, right? Like here's exactly how I need it to work. Here's exactly what'll make my life better as a user and then getting to actually build that. Oh, that's really interesting. Do you have examples of times that you've had to kind of put your ego aside and empathize well with everybody that you're working with? Um, I guess, do you have some examples of that? You think some good examples of that. I mean, not super specific examples that come to mind, but something that is that, you know, it happens all the time, maybe not as much with users that I can think of an example, but with the team, right, that I'm working with. So working on a new, pretty new major initiative um, at our company here, Eva and I are working on that, that same team. And there's a ton of other people, right, that are, that are involved and a ton of opinions and a ton of people that are bringing 
you know, knowledge from other divisions about like specific to our company and experiences that they, that they've had. For me, it's been putting my ego aside and just like trying to like admit when like, here's what I think, right? Like I'll lay out, okay, here's what I think. Here's how we think we should, we should do it. And then people will provide feedback or give different ideas or be like, Oh, I actually think this will work better. And not having an ego about saying like, no, this is, I, I'm the product manager, right? And this is what I, this is how I think that it should be done, right? Like that's, that's not, in my opinion, that's not the way to get it done, right? But keeping your ego out of the picture, taking that feedback. Eva gives me tons of great feedback and ideas all the time. I don't mean that as a bad, she's laughing at me, but no, like I try very hard because Eva has great ideas, right? And they're a lot of the time, they're not the same ideas that I have, right? And being able to just be flexible and, you know, listen to what everybody has, take that input. I think that's how we'll get the best product, right? At the end, at the end of the day is that collaboration. Yeah. And I would say that you're also a very good listener as a product manager. And I, I actually was thinking about that just like literally two seconds ago. And you are always great at like taking in ideas and yeah, like you said, not stopping anyone from saying anything. And I feel very comfortable sharing with you what is on my mind. And and yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that's actually a really, really good quality as a product manager. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad this didn't like spiral into like a mitigation, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hash it out. Yeah. Right All right. Eva, response to Chris's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. No, that, I know that Wait, would no, never... Wait, no, actually, I know that, that would get us happen. a lot more... No, no, no. That would get us more subscribers. Okay. That's right. Some conflict. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good point. All right. I'm just sprinkle that in. Okay. So for those just, yeah, who skipped ahead, Eva, your response to Chris's criticism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that criticism? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, the exact right response from product designers and product managers working together <laughs> in perfect collaboration. Such a great example. So, <laughs> Chris, are there other things that you feel like you kind of brought in from some of your other roles? Because you've had a bunch of other roles coming in from kind of a variety of different backgrounds. So you kind of referenced a little bit earlier, you know, some of the sales background, some of the marketing background that you came from, some of the, you know, the different educational background as well in kind of the non straight line path into product management. Are there other things that you feel like you brought into your product management role. You know, we've touched on several things so far, but are there other things that you feel like have been really beneficial from the experience that you've had that you've brought into product management? It's a good question. I'm trying to see if I can, I mean, think of other other pieces. I mean, I think specifically at Clearlink, one thing I've I've understood the value of and that I kind of brought into this role is how important up as a product manager it is to have a deep understanding of the business, right? Like I, I haven't been at ClearLink a, a long, long time, but I've been, you know, four, four years isn't a super short amount of time either, but I feel like I have a very good understanding of the business. And that has helped me so much in transitioning things, right? Because I have an understanding of the business, but I also have over my time built relationships across a lot of departments, right? And because of my hybrid role, I think even more so, right? That I have a ton of relationships on the technology side, a ton of relationships in the marketing side. And then through the products I was working on, built relationships across accounting and legal and finance, right? And and that deep understanding of the business, that deep connection to the business has made things so much 
easier. Like if, if we have a, a roadblock or we have a problem, like I know where to go to remove that roadblock. I know who I need to go pull in to help answer a question. You know, if we have a legal question, I know who I can go and have a conversation. with. If we need to engage with finance, do some analysis on an opportunity, you know, I, I know and have relationships with people that we, that I can go have those conversations with. So maybe not before ClearLink, but certainly at ClearLink, like the value of taking that time to invest in getting a deep understanding of the business and the people in the business too, right? Like not just how the business works, but all the different departments and how they work and, you know, building some relationships, some credibility, some respect between those departments. I think that's so good. And it reminds me, somebody asked the question on, on Twitter, Martin Erickson actually asked this question a week or two ago. And that kind of echoes one of the responses that I gave, you know, what are some of the areas that product management as a field has developed really well? And what are some of the areas that we need to continue to develop even more? And as far as like areas for development go, I think that's one of the areas that still needs development, both on the product management side, as well as on the business side. So developing, like you said, the deep understanding of the business, but then also helping the business continue to develop that deep understanding of what product management and product design bring to the table. So I think we've come a long way as a field and a craft in that, but I think that there's still a long way to go. So I think that's a great, like a great, great point that you touched on there. So I guess with that, you know, you've come into product management from, you know, from the background that you talked about, what are some of the things that you wish you knew before, you know, since you've been in the role full-time, a relatively short time, you've been doing it for a couple years, kind of in a hybrid role. What are some of the things that you wish you knew before coming into it full-time? Yeah, there's certainly a couple of things that come to mind. I think one of the things I wish I knew more before, one of the surprises was, is how often as product managers were asked to make decisions without all of the data or all of the information that you would normally want to make a decision, right? Like, like someone has a roadblock or someone has a question. It's like, Hey, I, I just need an answer on this so I can continue moving forward. You know, and in, in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, well, I wish I knew this and I wish I knew this and I wish I knew this. Um, but a decision needs to be made. Right. And I, you know, as a product manager, when you're working on a product that falls on you, right. To make those decisions and tying around with that is how to make good bets, right? Like, like how to be right when you're making decisions without enough information, a lot more than you're wrong. Right. And learning, I mean, that's a skill, right. That I wish that I'm developing rapidly on the fly <laughs> now, but it's one that I wish I had known more about that. I could have prepared for more before transitioning over into the role. Uh, so that's, that's one. Um, see, so yeah, another one that comes to mind is what I wish I knew is how to better show the value of products. So product, I think you guys, in fact, I know you have talked about it on the podcast because I have listened to them. (laughs) (laughs) That product is a fairly new part of our business, right? And, you know, I think being better prepared to be able to come in and quickly show the value that product brings just to get that understanding, you know, throughout the entire business um, is another thing that I... 
I guess because I was living in the world and I, you know, I was in this hybrid role, I saw the value of it and knew all the value of it. And I just assumed everybody did. And it's not that people don't see value, just that I think there's opportunity to make it more visible, right? And more, more clear to the rest, rest of the company. And the last one is how much fun it was going to be, right? Like I had kind of, I said, I, I kind of knew, right? Because I was doing it part, part time, but like, it's been so much fun. Like I, I've had more fun, you know, the last six months in this full-time role than I have in a long time. Right. Like I, I've, there's been no regrets in making, making the move <laughs> for sure. Nice. That's really yeah, good to hear. I, yeah. I love all of those. I just have a follow-up question for you. So uh, especially to your first point of like having to make decisions without, you know, a lot of the data or, or I guess unknowns being known, <laughs> How would you recommend any of the uh, anybody who wants to go into product management or an even newer product manager or even I guess anybody who's already in product management that might also run into that same issue? Like how how would you recommend uh, people like kind of be better prepared for that kind of scenarios? Yeah, I think we've actually already touched on a couple of the things, but one of them is being hyper collaborative, mm. being willing to listen to what everybody has to say being able to ask that person that's in your group that doesn't always speak up to try to get them to share their opinion, share their thoughts and being, being able to, I guess, take in as much information as you possibly can, right. From all of the different sources, then the, then the, uh, the challenge becomes synthesizing all of that down. Right. And that's where it becomes a mixture. We talked about trying to not have it, have an ego, right. But you also have to find the balance between listening to what everybody else has to say but also at some point being willing to make the decision, right? Because if you're the person making the decision, ultimately it comes back on you. I, I was reading in a, we're doing a book club at, at work. We're reading a book called Inspired. I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast will have heard of that book before, but there was a line in there where he, t- he talks about as a product manager, when you make good decisions, your team gets the credit. And when you make bad decisions and things don't go well, you take the blame, right? So like, you know, you, at some point you have to be willing to say, you know, no, this is what I think is, is best and, and make that decision. But you also need to be willing to get as much information as you can from the people that you're work, you're working around. And then I mentioned making good bets, right? I think that's, that goes back to like what I mentioned, we talked about before about your understanding of the business, right? The better you understand your business, you better you understand the business model and the better you understand your product, more likely you are to be able to make good decisions. Uh, the last piece I would add to that is you have to be willing to quickly pivot when you realize you've made a bad decision, right? You can't put your foot in the ground and say, you know, I made this decision and now I'm going to ride or die on this decision. If information comes up that you didn't know that is counter to the decision that you've made, you've got to be flexible and be willing to change it and be willing to eat crow, right? I think is the term, right? Be like, you know what? I, I made a bad call on this one. I learned some, some, something new, you know, and we're going to pivot and change, you know, and try to do better moving forward. I think that's really good. Do you have any examples of times that you've had to do that? Of times I've had to eat crow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not necessarily eat crow, but times that you've had to pivot based on new information. How about we phrase it that way? Yeah. Um, without getting too specific, the the product that we're working on right now that even I are on the same the same team working together, it happens all the time. It's again, I mentioned that I was on a new channel before, and then this new product that I'm working on is also a new channel at at Clearlink, and it's something that 
because it's so brand new, there's not a lot of, there's no institutional knowledge really, right, on how to make this happen. So it's been a constant stream of making decisions without enough information. And then as we get more information, as we move down the line, having to go back and pivot and adjust and edit it, right? And we're, I'm not, there's been like minor things, but also been some pretty major, like, we are going to build the product this way and then get like a week into it. Be like, Oh, we just totally learned a new piece of information that nobody knew about because this is a brand new initiative. We're going to have to go back basically and go an entirely different direction. Eva's experienced that I'm sure several times (laughs) over the last few months here as we've been, we've been working on. Yeah. So I guess the one thing that I also want to bring up is that because we have to partner with a lot of third parties, there's a lot of unknown that, just is bound to happen. And we have been kind of taking in whatever comes and then making decision as we go. But yeah, plan for the unknown, everybody. <laughs> right. You talked a little bit about some of the things that you kind of did to prepare yourself coming in. You know, were there things that you found particularly helpful, you know, either resources or, or information that you found uh, before you kind of made the shift or made the decision that you think would be helpful for other people thinking about making a move into product management? Yeah. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is before I was a product manager, I actually went to, I think two or three different product management conferences when I was kind of in the the hybrid role and right in the hybrid role, I still reported through the marketing org. So I was definitely like still considered a, a marketing person. So the fact that I was asking to go to these product management shows, right. was kind of conferences was kind of out of, the norm, right? Like, Oh, you want to go to that conference? And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I, this is this other piece of my job. You know, I, I felt pretty like I knew how to do the marketing part of my job, right? Like that, that really wasn't the concern. It was wanting to learn more and more about the product management side and learned a ton from those, from those shows, right? And just being able to even like, so the speakers, but also the people at the conferences, right? Being able to network with people that were in product full time and ask them about, their world and their job and you know the things they liked, the things they didn't like, the struggles they had, the wins they, they they had had, but just trying to gather as much of that information, right, from from those things. And then obviously reading whatever you can get your hands on, right? So I started following product management people on Twitter, right? So I could, you know, get get content there, reading books, articles, whatever I whatever I I could find to try to learn as much as I possibly could. <laughs> that was over that, you know, most of that two year period leading up to that transition, right? Where I was just trying to absorb whatever information I could. Very, very interesting. With that, so you know, going to conferences, hopefully we'll be able to get back to some form of conference. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously a lot of them have moved online for, you know, for the next little bit, what are your thoughts on that for, you know, for people interested in still going to conferences? Obviously, for those of us who are kind of in product management, I still think that there's probably going to be a a lot of value just in hearing from people within our field in, you know, just the different perspective and things like that. What about people who are kind of new to it? It won't be kind of the same interaction that you would get at an in-person conference. Do you think that that will kind of still have some of the same value for people who might be exploring the idea of moving into product management or or what are some of your thoughts there? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, even at the most basic level, I think it's, it's a way to gut check yourself on how interested you are in product management. Like if you go to one of those conferences and you don't come out 
totally pumped and excited and thinking that product is the most amazing thing in the world, it's probably not the right career path for you, right? Like, like it's, it's a great opportunity to, to hear, like, you know, if, if you're listening to a speaker talk about, you know, they did this big, you know, UI UX project, right. And they, you know, they, they had gathered all these data points and analyzed them and got these key learnings and made these changes. Like if that's not interesting to you, if that's not exciting, if you're, if you're not like geeking out <laughs> right, over that type of stuff, then probably not for you. Like I could say for me, like I didn't have a ton of experience doing that type of analysis. Right. So it wasn't like I could relate to it there, but like hearing them talk about it, right. And being able to learn about it, like that was super exciting. And that was something I was passionate about diving into and learning and exploring. So yeah, even if it's online, right. I think that's still something that you can do, especially if you're exploring potentially moving into product. Like I think that is like, I'd be a key thing to explore before making the jump as a way to make sure it's something you actually want to do. Wow. I absolutely love that. And I, I don't think I'd really thought about it in that way before, but I think you're absolutely right. Every time I go to a, a product conference, it's definitely one of those like energizing things for me where it's like, yes, I come out of it and I'm like, oh man, I'm ready to take on <laughs> the world. Like this is exactly what I needed. So hopefully everybody who's doing product and going to some of these product conferences is feeling the same way and who's interested in product is going to them and coming out of them supercharged. That's probably a really good metric on, is this right for me? Because if you're not coming out of it supercharged, then it may be time for some introspection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I need to come on and say, yes, I was super pumped after I came back from Seattle from Convey UX maybe wasn't showing as much as I wanted to since we were all on Zoom. But <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of conference too, here's a fun idea. And hopefully by the time that, I, I don't know, towards the end of the year, hopefully we're more, I don't know, in a safe space that we can do stuff like this. But um, two years ago, my design team did like an internal conference where we just grab a bunch of conference videos and uh, had like a fake landscape fake scenery in a conference room as like a camping theme and we just watch a bunch of conference videos all day it was super fun and we were doing it comfortably without having to get on a plane we were just like <laughs> camping chair and blankets it was great that's, that's one way to do conference yeah 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 let's we should we should make make that happen kyle <laughs> we so we are <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah we, speaking of conferences we are already signed up for industry so shout out to industry conference Mind the product coming up there. We'll give a shout out to product led another conference that uh, is coming up a few conferences coming up that we're taking a look at. And then of course our local conference front, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, if you're not familiar with definitely check out always, always a, a really good one. We'll put those in the yeah. show notes. All very, very good conferences. Agreed. Cool. Any other questions? I don't have any questions, but I cannot wait to go back to our usual like end of show quick hangout zone. How do we call that now? I see again, proof that I listen to your podcast. I thought this was the part of the podcast where you guys talk about random product backstories because I actually have. <laughs> nice. Okay. Now I feel like Chris, I made you like prove that you have listened to the other episodes. <laughs> Here's a quiz. Check all, <laughs> all the options. Oh. Final quiz. It could be our final quiz on the podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, 
we go back and just yeah. prove that you know something about the podcast. Yeah. Forget about all the, you know, homework on the actual content that we want to talk about. <laughs> just spend that time, listen to all the other episodes, but that's how we get subscribers, right? Yeah. We invite people that become, <laughs> that they have to, they have to listen to it. <laughs> so right. yeah. Any, anybody has any product shout out or product stories? Yeah, I do actually. I said I I I came prepared for this one, so I oh, actually wanted to yes. talk about Doritos of all of all things. So <laughs> yes, this is great. Doritos delicious, but uh, so a little bit more about me. So I'm a huge Disney Disney fan, Disneyland fan, right? Like taking our kids a couple of times. You know, I've got young kids that are super into Disney. My four year old is obsessed with Disney princesses right now. She pops into my meetings all day wearing different princess outfits, right? Like it's become like a joke that people, she'll come into the background of a Zoom call in a different princess out, out, outfit. Anyway, they're actually tied together, believe it or not, Doritos and Disneyland. So Doritos actually started at Disneyland. So they had a restaurant there called Casa de Fritos, horrible pronunciation, I'm sure. And they had all these extra tortillas that they were just throwing away at the end of the day. And so they decided to experiment and they cut them up and fried them and put some flavoring on them and started serving them at the restaurant in Disneyland. They became so popular that they started manufacturing them just... Um, like on the side and then it exploded even more. And that's when Frito-Lay took over the production essentially and it exploded again. And that is how we have Doritos. So yeah. In fact, there was another thing I saw and I was thinking Wikipedia, but I thought you would appreciate this Eva. They said in, uh, in 1994, the company spent $50 million to redesign the Dorito to make the chip 20% larger, 15% thinner and rounded on the edges. And they said, uh, they did a two-year market research study that involved 5,000 chip eaters. The new design gave each chip rounded corners, making it easier to eat and reducing the scrap from broken corners. So all of this came from a 5,000 chip eater research study to improve the Dorito. I love this because how are you qualifying someone as like a, oh, you're a chip eater. You're not like, <laughs> that sounds like a, you know how we had to somewhat like vet your, your participants of your test to make sure they actually will, you know, are, are able to provide inputs. Right. In, in short it's yeah. So like, how, how do you, how do you recruit? I think like, when it comes to chip eater, it's just anybody. Just self-identify. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and especially Doritos. Like if, are you a are you a person? Then you're a, you're a Dorito. <laughs> you're a Dorito eater. <laughs> now I'm really looking into it, zooming in, and just like how is how is that done? What is on that survey? What is on that form? Yeah, I, I, I love had people complaining about like sharp corners cutting their mouth up, right? So you round the edges, right? Like or all the crumbs at the bottom of the bag from sharp sharp corners. Again, you round the edges and you have fewer crumbs at the bottom the bottom of the bag. So aren't the crumbs at the bottom That's of the bag so like one of the best parts though? Oh no, false. That, 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 that is wrong. <laughs> so what's the best part, Chris? I want to know. The, the chip. <laughs> <laughs> like the, before it turns into ashes in the bag. Honestly, let's be honest. It's the dust that it leaves behind on your fingers, right? That's, <laughs> that's the best, the best part. Okay. I like how here we have Kyle thinking like the, the crumbles in the bag is the best. And you're thinking the, 
you know, dust on their fingers. And I'm going to make a very controversial statement and say, when you're like three, four chips in, when you have that, you know, lasting flavor in your mouth, that's the best, best part, (laughs) I think. But yeah, I love this chip related product story. Yeah. So shout out to Doritos and to Disneyland, right? So this is great. Should we just make everyone that comes on as a guest to provide <laughs> chip-related product story, please? <laughs> yeah, you need great. to. Yeah, you need to start yeah. bringing your your product story. And I guess yeah, before it was like what crackers that you were doing. So it's on theme. It it's pretty it's pretty open. So you know we won't <laughs> we won't narrow it too much. But I, I have a product shout out that is uh, I thought about this before we started recording, but also somewhat crackers less chips related. So best snack ever, uh, Ritz toasted chips. If you have not had that, go on Amazon, buy a six pack. It will magically show up on your porch and it's the perfect amount of crunch and just that bready cracker texture, but it feels like chip. Try it. The okay, add it, add it to the list. The end. Any there shout out from you, yeah. Kyle? <laughs> I feel like those ones are pretty good, but top, it, top that. <laughs> if you want to pair it with a backyard barbecue, we've been grilling hamburgers lately, and my kids have been confused if there's ham in their hamburgers. And for everybody who knows, no, there is no ham in hamburgers, and that name Whoa. comes from Hamburg in Germany. At least. That's what the story is. And they used to make steaks there and kind of chop up the meat. And then that eventually came over into the U.S. And people kind of kept doing that as as they immigrated. And eventually, you know, they started adding like buns to it and toppings. And in the World's Fair in 1904, that's kind of when it started to really take off. And multiple people were doing it. And so we really don't know who invented like the first American hamburger. But that's kind of when it really started to to take root and take off and became just immensely popular after that. So shout out to your backyard hamburger that can go with your Doritos and your Ritz Ritz toasted crackers. That's, that's toasted that's, chips, everybody. I was I was actually <laughs> talking last night with my kids about hamburgers too, because we were trying to, to talk about what American food is, right? Because we, <laughs> we were talking about I think Chinese food or Mexican food, and they're like, "What's what's American food?" And I was like, "It's a great question. I don't know. It's like maybe the hamburger, you know, is, is the only thing I could come up with that was like American food." But now Kyle's telling me it's actually German. Yeah, tell them to listen to this episode. Actually, I feel like we touch on a lot of American diet options. It definitely had a lot of origins there, but it was largely Americanized for sure, as most foods are that are brought over from a lot of places. So there you go. Both of our kids backyard cheeseburgers. Like they, they don't want. They don't even want like fat. They kind of like fast food ones, but they have just fallen in love with our grilled cheeseburgers and they want them like every day now. So anyway, I'm doing, I'm grilling them right. Apparently <laughs> now, now I'm just hungry, honestly. <laughs> so it's food so much. Hungry. Yeah. We need, we need to grill some cheeseburgers and have some Doritos. <laughs> That's right. On that note, I'm going to go munch on some toasted chips and I guess this is the episode and thank you being here with us thank you for having me (laughs) we need to all say the end yeah the end yeah the end the end
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan Chow Chow. See you next time.